Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geeks. Flight 81 to Burbank. I can't believe we haven't done this yet. Well, it's like the last episode. These are these airports we talk about all the time, and then we never actually did an episode on them. I've actually listed quite a few, actually. (laughs) So Burbank, I've never been, but I know it's one that you particularly like. I do, because it's one of those satellite airports in Los Angeles, which makes it sound small, but it's not. Meaning it's not LAX. It's one of the six, five airports that's not LAX, and I... I like it. it. It's in the right part of town for the areas of LA that I frequent. It's reasonably quiet and calm, and it's got uh, some good services like JetSuite X, which I I went on. Yeah, I like it. It's a good little airport. Very busy, but good little airport. Are we visiting Conan or Ellen? They record there in Burbank, right? <laughs> they do. Much of what we consume in, in the Hollywood media is produced in, in and around the Burbank area. I was a Letterman guy, not Leno, but Leno was famous for having everything in Burbank studio. I That's think. right. Yeah, you drive around and you see all these familiar places. But I, I like I like Burbank. It's a neat little place. So how much did you fly in the past two days? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Incredibly, not much. I'm not going anywhere this week. It's great. I'm getting actually getting some stuff done. Yeah, so guys, we are recording on October 10th, 2018, just like two days after our Zurich episode. We said at the end of the episode that, well, we don't know what we're going to record. And we said, you know what? Even though this won't be live probably up to October 22nd, at least you'll have an episode. Again, caveat, some of the stuff we might say will be out of fashion by then. <laughs> <laughs> the industry will have changed completely, Alex. No doubt. Uh, but you you haven't flown, but you built an airliner with Lego. Yeah. Yeah. This is my life. We have a massive bucket of Lego, and I sent Paul an image of uh, my youngest son and I building various flying machines. That's fun. I love doing it, and he's he's really, really good at it. So we have quite an airport scene going on right now. <laughs> Gravity-defying I mean, flying machines. That's the reason alone to have kids, I think. I mean, I could buy Lego, but just doing that is... Uh, I have the best memories of my brother and my father building spaceships, actually. I was into spaceships for some reason. Um, the thing I forgot in the last episode is to say that October 8th was also, and October 10th, since we're two days later, uh, is also kind of symbolic for us that love Japan and Tokyo, especially because they just closed Tsukiji Market. Yes. Um, and they are currently in the transfer. So, you know, we've talked about Hong Kong being transferred to New York port. Istanbul will actually live that. This is exactly what's going on now with all the equipment for fishing. <laughs> from Tsukiji to the new market, which I forgot the name of. Too bad, though, because it was one of the best attractions you could do in Tokyo. Yeah, it really was. And I think we forget that it's not just a tourist attraction. It's a functioning and important commercial fishing, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, establishment. So they need to to keep it going and they need to, to make sure that the services is uninterrupted as it possibly can be. So I will wait with bated breath to see how this transition goes. I think they will maintain the surroundings of the current market, even though the market will not be operational. So you'll still have 
the sushi restaurants, the joints. I'm not sure in the long run how that would work because the whole point was that you were very close to the actual market. The new market is not that far, but maybe down the line, a new economy of small joints will be developed around that other market, which will be mostly close to the public. When I was living in Japan, it was a bit of free-for-all. You could go and go into the tuna auctions, but we're talking, you know, more than 10 years ago. And then in the past years, they had already restricted because, you know, some tourists are simply morons and were interrupting what you just said, which is the actual running of the operations. Exactly. (laughs) I was very happy to have been one last time to the market, was it a month ago when I was in in Tokyo? Uh, Let's see what the new one will bring. I mean, you'll be there soon. I might be joining you, so maybe we'll have a word on that. Yeah. So uh, we already had some actually feedback, which I will uh, spend a few minutes talking about because it's fun. I'm always having a field day now putting the, the show notes, the show description, not the show notes, because the show notes are still gone. I've just updated the website, so now you have all the <laughs> all the episodes, <laughs> but you don't have the show notes in them. But like, I'm just now having a fun, and people are reacting to that, which is cool. You remember we mentioned uh, Fly with Alexandra, her iTunes review. I just revived our Instagram account, which is also lay underscore overs. And she had written us already there. And she said, she says that she appreciates a lot our podcasts, that we're doing a great job, that we are our favorite. But one really cool thing is that I finished all the episodes. And thanks to you guys, have been spending more time in the gym just so that I could listen to your episodes. <laughs> so I'm not glad all- that you associate us with pain. <laughs> and and general wellness when we always talk about you know stupid food we're having in the front of the cabin uh so she's at fly underscore with underscore alexandra on instagram we also had another message on instagram actually instagram is proving to be quite popular i think i'll have to keep up with that which i don't have time to but i'll try at foreman.farm his name is charles he thanks us for fueling his passion for air travel and airline branding so that's mm. cool And uh, he also has a dual citizenship, so he's very appreciative of your word, Alex, because he always is nervous navigating the various checkpoints. And so he finds your points about all immigration issues with your two passports very comforting. The thing, though, he says, my family of three travels with five passports. Oh, yeah. Welcome to my... I think we're up to, like, I think we have at least nine your family is called Jason Bourne. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I know it's, it's. I was just thinking about this when I went through passport control somewhere recently. One does feel like a criminal. You like you're being sort of judged, and I don't know. There's a weird power thing going on there, which I think is probably why I like the E Gate so much, where it's just a machine <laughs> judging me. Although it's not really, is it? Because there's still somebody looking at your picture. Yeah, I mean, this is a debate we should have sometime because I believe that we said. A few times that in the UK, at least, there needs to be one person per five e-gates, but that's a regulation. It seems to me, however, that in other places, it's way more automated. Or maybe we don't see the people, or maybe the computer flags something, and then they will only take a look when yeah, that they, happens. Per- perhaps there's a certainty. I find it interesting. You're right. We should dive into it a little bit more because I'm sure there's sort of some tolerances that it that it operates in if it's if it's 95% certain that it's the same person in the photo which for me would be kind of interesting because in my US passport I was like 55 pounds heavier and I look completely different I have a beard now I have glasses and in my photo I look I look totally different to the point where I get comments when I go through standard 
immigration processing, if you will, that they look like, wow, you look really different. I have hair in my Greek passport. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I need to go fully renew it with a more. I kept like, you know, like just extending it. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll dedicate maybe some time uh, about that, you know, forthcoming episode. Although the, this episode, guys, you understand that we don't have a lot of stories about traveling, though there is some. But the forthcoming ones, the two or three forthcoming ones will only be about us traveling. So maybe yeah. no time for the e-gates, but we'll probably have experiences with, with e-gates. We also had some messages already on Twitter about our last episode. Michael Lepa at Rollo Funk says that he had a backlog of three episodes and four flights this week. He says, awesome planning. Yeah, well, we did that for you, man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We're here to serve. But the best one is Adam Nowak, or Novak. I'm not sure exactly how you'd like this name to be pronounced, Adam. He says, pretty excited that my itinerary to go back home tomorrow goes through Charles de Gaulle, Seattle, Vancouver, which is exactly oh. our three last episodes. So you will be able to listen to our three last episodes besides Zurich, obviously, which were IVR, SEA, and Charles de Gaulle. So that's it's just like, again, we did it for you, Adam, of course. Yeah. <laughs> a quick thanks as well to a friend of mine. You haven't seen the pictures because I haven't had time to send them to you, Alex. Eric was a friend of mine. I mentioned quite a few times he lives, uh, he works for the United Nations and lives in the Republic Democratic of Congo. Oh, wow. And he always oh, yeah, sends me yeah. these crazy pictures of crazy airports. And he sent me a picture of Beni Mavivi Airport in North Kivu, which is basically where Ebola is and where the rebels are as well. So it's not a place you want to go for holidays. And when you see these type of pictures, you're like, Hmm. We're very lucky to be transiting at Hong Kong and Singapore and even GFK, right? Oh, I mean, some of the things that he must have seen in his travels. If you want to come on as a guest and tell us some stories that you're allowed to talk about, uh, I think a lot of people would be interested in hearing those. Yeah, I've had those many stories over beers and I kept telling him that at some point I would love him to be because some of the stories are completely out there. We will I'm... never experience that, like never. Then he also sent me a video of the landing on Goma, which is another airport in North Kivu, I think. I will ask him if he's okay for me to repost those on Instagram. And if, if that's the case, you guys, you'll be able to see them. We mentioned also Saeed, the cadet pilot of Etihad in the last yeah. episode. Well, I don't know if he had already listened to the Zurich episode when we mentioned him because he sent us a picture, these layovers and context pictures of him on board a Etihad flight, obviously, but not as a pilot, as a passenger. He's in business class to me, it looks like. Uh, a 77W, so the 300ER, so very nice seats, obviously, and he says the new episode came out at the perfect time. He was traveling from Abu Dhabi to Milan, MXP. Nice. Thank you, Saeed. Thank you, Saeed. Thanks for doing it, and, and, and please stay in touch and let us know what it's like to do what you do. Yeah, exactly, because we are always very envious and we admire that kind of Absolutely. dedication. What did we forget? We forgot two things. So first, maybe I'll ask you, we forgot to mention two little stories about our travel in the last episode. First, you kind of hinted at it, but never actually talked about it. You actually did a layover at Lucy in London. How was that? Is LCY an airport when you can't do a layover? Yeah, it, well, it's funny because you and I were talking about it and I was wondering what it was like to transit through because I was coming in from Glasgow and going straight on to my to my flight to Zurich, different airlines, obviously different reservation as a result. And I was wondering, well, can I stay airside? Do I need to go out? Uh, what, what's happening here? And then I thought, oh, hang on a minute. How much time do I have? I had about 50 minutes, which turned out to be more than enough time. Because I was coming from a domestic okay. flight 
there was no immigration, so you just sort of belched out into the arrivals hall, which is also the departure hall at, at London <laughs> City. So there was no opportunity for me to even stay airside. And so you just go up that really short set of stairs back through security and you're airside again in I think from stepping on the tarmac off my Glasgow flight to being airside and at my gate was like seven minutes. Um, oh, wow. So that is fast. Whether or not I would have stayed airside was reasonably inconsequential. Yes, you have the minor inconvenience of going back through security, but almost everybody there knows what they're doing because yeah. they're business travelers. That doesn't mean all business travelers know what they're doing. It just means that <laughs> they want to kind of get to the same. So it was uh, it was no problem at all. And very, very easy to, to transit through. And I think that your scenario is actually the most likely for any layover because probably it's a feeder for people coming domestic. Yeah, I doubt there will be a lot of people transiting from, uh, let's say, I don't know, Paris to no. Lucy to go then somewhere, even with that New York flight, because they probably will actually do a direct if they are a business traveler. Yeah, I think you're absolutely- There will be rare occurrences of maybe people like us, AV geeks, wanted to try this, but otherwise I don't think that they will have to be a lot of international layover. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think my... My, my scenario was reasonably normal in that Glasgow, while it has service, a lot of it is leisure. And for me to connect to somewhere like Zurich, I had to go through London. And there's no way I was going to connect through Heathrow. Yeah. Because oh. screw that. You know, and I'm also <laughs> I'm also going, you know, I would have been going from T5 to T2, which yeah. is time consuming if you've ever done it. Whereas with Lucy, it was a breeze. It was an absolute breeze. So in that scenario, it's a no-brainer to go through London City. I'm sure that some of our listeners have done it. So if you do it, know that it's very, very easy. The one thing I forgot to mention about my trip and Zurich itself, actually, is that there is, and I wanted to point it out, there is an arrival lounge by Swiss just after you exit the you know the belt and customs area it's very nice there's two things one is that you can get your shirt ironed for free which is pretty cool actually yes. you told me alex that you've seen that somewhere else as well yeah so virgin have had that for a while in their arrivals lounge at heathrow and it's you have this you go into the to the shower compartment and there's like a what are those doors called where you both have a door each uh, and you both have to open the door to actually get access? So you, <laughs> it's great. You open your side of the door, hang yeah. your shirt on this rail, close your part of the door, press a button, which lights up a light on the other side. They come in, take the shirt, do what they need, do their magic. And when you're finished with your shower, you open the door and magically from Narnia, your your beautifully pressed shirt is there. Um, BA do it as well in their arrivals lounge at T5. It's such a great service. I, I love I love linking ironing shirts with magic because I suck at ironing shirts. So, you know, for me, magic is my dry cleaner. But yeah, actually, it's very interesting because I was exactly about to mention that the system in Zurich is exactly the same. At first, I was looking for it because I'd read it was possible. And then I realized because I ended up taking a shower because I had three hours before my client and I'd woken up at the crazy hours and I wanted to change before going on stage. And yes, I saw that door, I don't know, sass or something, and you put your shirt and swiss they say it takes uh, less than 15 minutes for them to return your shirt so it's perfect timing if you want to take a shower actually it's pretty cool who has access to that lounge i'm always fascinated by by what at the least rules ticketed are. ticketed uh so you would have had access because you were ticketed in no you were going there in economy yeah so probably not it would have been business 
plus, I think, uh, Star Alliance status holders. Maybe not the lowest one. To be frank, I haven't checked. Can you actually pay for entry? I'm not sure. It was pretty empty, but there were a few people. You know, it's very well laid out. You have like, it's like a proper lounge. You know, you have sofas, you have work desks, more work desks, actually, because that's probably the likely scenario. You have yeah. tons of showers. And each shower, that's fun because, you know, they gave me the thing. It says, uh, you're going to Dubai. And look, what? Dubai? Because each shower, they named it after uh, uh, a destination. The one next to me was Tokyo. Like, ah, you should have given that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) No, really, really well done. The food is really good. And that's my last bit. They have a lot of smoothies. Very good. Banana is the one you want to go. I'm not sure you like banana. I do not. Well, sadly for you, because this is clearly the best one. And it's clearly made also out of fresh banana. It's not something. Oh, that's good. A concoction and because they have a proper bar with someone matting the the bar anyway now to some news so since we're going to burbank quite a few things about the u.s let's start there i had a message from a friend i told you jessica goglio she was boarding a flight in boston jet blue no mint product i think she was going to portland pdx with our famous carpet and <laughs> she told me she told me that just before boarding there was a PA announcement. We're sorry, there's no Wi-Fi on this flight. Here's a $15 voucher to apologize. I was like, what? Wow, We That's don't good. get this kind of... Because we don't have Wi-Fi. But I mean, it's gone that far that if you don't have Wi-Fi, the company, the airline will pay you something. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I think it's excellent on, on JetBlue's part. But I think that it's because it's free and included in the price of the ticket, I suppose is the one way of looking at it that they feel obligated because it's not something you're, you're you're paying for or opting in for. You're choosing to fly on, on JetBlue. And if you get on board and they're not providing something that you paid for, then perhaps they feel like they should be um, refunding you in some regard. Yeah, very good point. And it's uh, Boston to Portland is not like a one hour flight. No, that's so, a long way. Yeah, you might have actually taken that because you wanted to work for the, what is it, four hours or something that it is. So yeah, good point. But still, the fact that they yeah, do admirable. it. Admirable. I've never seen that anywhere else but the U.S. Delta Airlines CEO Ed Bastian is saying that they want to make Wi-Fi free for everyone. I don't know of anywhere else besides an airplane that you can't get free Wi-Fi. But obviously, it did not give any specific timeline for this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's true. But it's also a lot more expensive to provide Wi-Fi on an airplane, Absolutely. I think. And they are testing a new wireless IFE in their A220 that they are about to roll out. And he says a wireless IFE is great because it means we don't have to wire the plane anymore. And he estimates that usually it costs up to $1 million to wire. He says uh, wireless IFE cut that cost down at least by two thirds. I believe it. And I can absolutely see, especially short haul, why, why airlines are moving to this model of of streaming Wi-Fi. Everybody has a device. I mean, we've talked about this in the past. Yeah, many times, yeah. Why, why you know, I, I, I'm totally fine with it. <laughs> short <laughs> haul, too. long haul, and premium cabins, uh, I'd be disappointed. But short haul, yeah, go nuts. But, you know, you remember when I did that United flight to the US, the IFE was so-so, was okay, but so-so. And I remember logging in on their Wi-Fi wireless IFE that they had on top of the existing IFE. And the catalog was, you know, Emirates style of catalog. There was like a never-ending catalog of stuff to see. 
and the experience because okay i had like an ipad pro whatever my own device was fast but it felt much better than whatever they were providing me with so i like at least even in premium if they were to offer that on top of whatever ife i'd be very happy uh, to sometimes use whatever they give me as long as i have a plug to recharge my ipad yeah well that's why i'm not excited about my flight on monday to Las Vegas. Is it a BA? It's a BA, an old 747, ah. and there's no power and the crappy IFE and no Wi-Fi. <laughs> and I'm not the the BA Wi-Fi in the, with the Panasonic system is very very good, but the Rockwell Collins one that I'm going to have is, uh, I think it's like a 320 by 120 resolution. <laughs> it's not. It's not good. It's not good, and there's there's very very little choice and. I'm not excited about that because it's a 10 and a half hour day flight. Oh, well, man. Yeah, well, get content on your laptop or something. The reason I prefer the, the, the iPad or a tablet over a laptop to watch stuff is that usually the battery lasts for much longer. Yeah, I think my laptop's battery, if I watched, yeah, it's just like, um, and there's a new iPad coming in. They, they will have USB-C, so I'll probably transition to that as well. Anyway, still on Delta, since we mentioned many times and just now the A220, so the C is 100 that they are about to roll out. I found some pictures of the inside and it's interesting because they're going a very different route than Swiss that you've just taken and also than Air Baltic, which they only have, I think, the 300 Air Baltic. So first, the seats are more normal seats. You know, the seat that you experience on Swiss, which has a, the backbone is central, which, which leaves you more room for your knees on the side. Yeah. Of, that is not the case. It's a more normal seat. I cannot make out the legroom, and I don't think they have actually announced it. What is very interesting, to a point you often make about our lack of business class slash first in Europe is that there's a clear separation and in the back of the plane is 3-2 like you've experienced and like you guys you would see on Swiss or Air Baltic. In the front, it's 2-2 and it feels like the seats in the front are slightly larger. So they actually are installing a proper business class and not just giving you one seat free on Delta. Ah, yeah, we, I mean, as is the fashion in North America. They want to compete, clearly. So Swiss has... I'm taking Swiss because they have the exact same 100. They have 125 seats, out of which usually it's like 16 in business class. So that's actually 12 since you removed the seat free and 109 in economy. Whereas in Delta, the entire aircraft will be 109 seats. So clearly they are making bigger seats in the front. They will have three lavatories instead of two which, I mean, is great, especially in a time when now they're reducing, I don't know if you've seen the the new types of uh, American Airlines oh, yeah. lavatories that are so small on the 737 MAX. It kind of hints at me that, do they want to go for like medium haul with this? Because yeah, if you have like three it. lavatories, it's not for one hour, right? Where are they putting the third one? In the back, I guess. So in the back, there's one, there will probably be two, and there's one in the front. That's what I would gather, because otherwise, two in the front, when they I try to avoid having non-business passengers going the front, would not make any sense. And that's also where the galley is for the food. So probably, if you look at the seat map, guys, look at the back of a Swiss or Air Baltic that also has to even on the 300 uh, layout, and you'll see that at the very end, there's one lavatory, and on the other side, there's like a galley. You know, usually on these maps, is a little cup of coffee that tells you that something is for the crew. They haven't released any seat map, but I would assume that's where it's going. That makes sense. It looks pretty cool, you know, traditional Delta blue colors and some red. And yeah, so I hope I will be able to actually uh, try it out. Still in planes, but now to a debate. We mentioned, I think it was two episodes ago, you mentioned that 
the first ever 777 by Cathay Pacific had been uh, flown back to the museum to not yeah. the, the Everett one, but another one. But it seems that your brother, Will, hi, Will, has actually been flying an even older 777. And I don't understand how is that. Was it not the first one then? This was so funny. This was, and it was an <laughs> absolute accident that we discovered this. So my brother was messaging me from his seat on the ground. Uh, he was flying from San Francisco to Denver and we said, oh, it's rather unusual that I'm on a 777. It's a big plane, but oh, wow. it's full. Yeah. And he said, oh, what's that app you use to find out the age of the plane? Because it feels, you know, a little bit dated. And I said, <laughs> well, what's the flight number? And he sent me the flight number. And I looked it up and I was like, wow, that's a really interesting tail number. It was 777-UA. It's like a vanity phone number. Yeah, yeah. I was like, hang on a second. And I I went on airfleets.net, which is the site that I use to find out how old an airplane is. I was like, oh, my God. Hang on. Not only is that an old, very old airplane, it's the prototype 777. (laughs) It was the very first 777 delivered to an airline. Then I was like, well, hang on a minute, because you and I started talking about this. And I thought, wait, wait, wait a minute, because the Cathay one, which we've just spent a few episodes talking about. Well, it turns out that the Cathay one was the very first 777 off the line. So it's line number 0001. But that was used for testing for five years by Boeing before it was delivered to Cathay. Oh, I see. Oh. Uh, this this one, 777UA, was the very first 777 delivered to an airline customer in, I think, 1995. So Holy cow. still flying around. Yeah, it was amazing. Absolutely amazing that he just happened to be on this rather lovely piece of history. He said that what the, he said something like the overhead bins felt like they were hanging on by duct tape and dreams. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I reinforced him. Like, You're flying on a piece of history there because that's a very significant airplane. It is. Wow. I had no idea this was still flying. I mean, at, you know, 1995, you said it's not, yeah, it's okay. We experienced older oh, stuff, I, right? That's what I said to him. I, I, I said, that's, not, you know, a lot not of the A747s are much older than that, and they're wonderful. Yeah, you have still MD-80s flying around the world. I'm not even talking about emerging countries. I'm saying even in the U.S., you have like older aircraft still around. Yeah, I found uh, a couple of those at Zurich Airport. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. You can see lots of very cool aircraft always to see at Zurich. Wow. Uh, So, guys, if you want to know the age of your aircraft, with Airbus, it's pretty simple because usually when you enter the aircraft, on the side of the door, there's a little metallic plaque, which... I think it's the last pre to last line is the actual like tag if you want of the delivery. Yeah. So you'll see like uh, I don't know eleven twenty eleven. That's November twenty eleven. That will be the age of the aircraft on Boeing's. There's no such thing that I know of. So maybe Boeing's guys, you can tell or us. At least not look consistently. At, yeah, or maybe we should have to look under the carpet or something. Or maybe above these overhead bins once you remove the duct tape. <laughs> the, <laughs> they, the only way to do that is because airfleets.com, I think it's .net. The, the website. .net. Oh, thank you. Is the best way to find any type of information about the uh, fleets of any airline. Because not only it gives you the current fleet, but you can see the historical fleet, where a plane has been to, which airline it belonged to. It's not always 
completely consistent because I think it's uh, like Wikipedia. It's done by enthusiasts. I'm not sure it actually is an official website. It's very, very, very well done. The problem is how do you find your plane on this? The best way is obviously to use Plane Finder or Flight Radar 24. Yeah. The only caveat is that sometimes you'll have to have started taxiing for the flight to actually appear on these yeah. apps. And not always. Even sometimes you'll have to be in flight, which you have Wi-Fi. It's fine if you don't. Maybe upon landing or ask a friend, which sometimes we do between Alex and I. Alex will send me the name, yeah. the screenshot of my aircraft whilst I'm in the air, which I'll get when I land. Flight Radar 24 actually has reasonably good forward-looking fleet allocation. So if you Google yeah, your true. flight number around 24 hours before your flight, it will give you a list of all of the past and future flights for that flight number. And in many cases, it will list the aircraft that was that did the flight in the past, but sometimes it does it in the future. If you click on that, it will take you to the airplane, but then you have to have their premium product, which is a good product. So definitely sign up yep. for it. That will tell you the age, but then you can also just go to airfleets.net and pump in the, uh, the registration. registration and it will give you as Paul said. And in many cases, that history of where, oh my gosh, some of them, it's like, it's been to like 14 airlines and eight countries and they're really amazing. And it's, I kind of like that. I think it's really, really very interesting. Very neat. Especially the ones that are for low cost airlines, if you've never heard of, usually they've been bouncing off and on between different uh, owners. It's uh, fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Another app you can use just to have the registration number simply by looking up the flight number. It's called Flight Stats. Also, if you want to have the historical, you have to pay. I pay that because I can look up a flight from 10 years ago and I'm able, if at that time the registration was logged, I can still find it. If the airline announces the plane the app will tell you the registration number in advance. So that's another option, guys, if you want to know the age of the aircraft, not only for Boeings and Airbus, obviously also for fuckers and whichever. I yeah, for anything, like, really. For anything, exactly. Another thing you mentioned, since we're talking about old aircraft, old airports, and I didn't realize, I didn't call on your point in the last episode, you were saying that you were super very happy about the massive investments they were doing in the US about airport infrastructure. And I was thinking you were talking about LaGuardia and maybe other airports. And I hadn't seen that that same morning or maybe the day before, they had announced a huge overhaul for JFK. I think it's like $13 billion that are promised to completely overhaul all the terminals, not only one, all the terminals at JFK by 2025, fingers crossed. Wow, the images are pretty cool. It's not going to be Shanghai or Hong Kong, but it seems to be an improvement. Yeah, it does. It's a sort of a consolidation to make it, because there's like seven or eight terminals at JFK, and they're consolidating them. They're extending Terminal 5, and BA will move there to, I guess, be a tenant of, of JetBlue, which is kind of funny because they've been reworking on Terminal 7 for ages because it's a bit of, <laughs> yeah. not a bit, it's a crap hole. And <laughs> for basically a flagship- But it's fast, but it's fast it's, sometimes. It is fast, but it's it is a, it's like very temporary. You feel like you're in a the DMV, but it's, <laughs> it's not great. It's not great. And they've been working on it. I haven't been back through since they've 
apparently completed most of the renovations, but this is, I think, welcome news to be a frequent flyers out of New York. The biggest criticism of all this, apparently, is that they're not planning to do uh, an extra runway. I, I think they have the same issues as, as, as Heathrow. They wish they had an extra runway, and it's not planned, uh, probably because there's no money. <laughs> and at least the rest, you know, the renovation, because it's mostly, I think it's 95% private money. You know, there's a return on investment. A return on investment on a runway will have to be purely public money, and surely they don't have that, and they don't want to maybe go to the hurdles of building that. And also to increase the movements at that airport, I think would require more than just a, a runway infrastructure change. It would require air traffic control changes throughout that whole area as well. They will increase the capacity of the air train, but they abandoned as well the single ride from JFK to Manhattan, which is the dream of everyone because you still have to make a stop. And yes. uh, that's not going either. But I mean, at least there's something, you know, the images of LaGuardia look amazing. I hope they actually, in reality, will look like that. And the images of JFK maybe don't look as amazing. And again, you know, there are computer generated images, but they make it feel like lighter and a lot of, you know, modern equipment. So I really yeah. hope that they actually go through with it. Yeah, it would be great because LaGuardia for its location is actually very convenient, but that's the only thing that's convenient about it. <laughs> yeah, because otherwise it's crap all, like literally. <laughs> it's a standstill of, yeah. of New York. <laughs> that's a fair comparison. <laughs> but since we're on JFK, I think that was just reported yesterday. Have you seen that, you know, that's TWA hotel, you know, you know, the old terminal TWA, they're refurbishing as a hotel. It's nearly done. They've just flown a Lockheed Constellation. I think they've flown it. Maybe I'm wrong, but they are putting a Lockheed Constellation. It's called Connie, that one, a Starliner, to become a bar. Yes, I heard about this. I was a little had mixed feelings about this at first. That it's being it, so they dismantled it. They took the wings off and they they. Oh, they, there you go. So it wasn't flown. A, so it was just a, uh, yeah. Sorry. So it barge went, maybe. Yeah, uh, and I don't know. It just it, I I always sort of tense up a little bit when I see such a beautiful airplane in bits, but at least as a friend of mine, Greg pointed out, at least it's being preserved and made accessible mm -hmm. and not yeah. turned into beer cans. And it seems that the entire hotel concept, again, we'll judge when it's actually there, seems to be respecting this era of travel that we all miss, even if we didn't live through it, because if we're talking about the 50s or 60s. It seems to be going in a direction of using all the, the right equipment, the right type of feel and tone. I really hope that it's not just stuff plastered on the wall and that they actually go fully into the experience yes but yeah you're right uh, i understand your uh, predicament there yeah it's it's only one of four in the world of this particular type of of constellation it was the last model they made the 1649a mm -hmm. and there's only four in the world and so i guess it's even more important that this is preserved with um i don't know deference is probably the best word yeah, I don't have any idea of the timeline of the opening of this hotel. I don't think it's actually linked to the renovation we just talked about a minute ago. So let's see. That will be for me a reason to not only go to JFK and land there. I've done mostly uh, Newark these past two, three years, but also to simply stay there. Yeah, no. yeah, it would be it would be great. I mean, if they do this right, they, you know, you'll have a, a Lockheed Constellation there, and you're in the old <laughs> TWA terminal. I mean, that's pretty great. So what we didn't do in the last episode either, we didn't actually criticize United because that's a game we have to do, right? Yeah. <laughs> so let's, let's have a like, now, nah, because these are stories. The first one is just 
guys, I know that some people, even from United listening to us, you know, it's tough love, right? This is how we do it. Mm. Um, because it's, it's this is poor thoughts. These guys, uh, military, just came back from a six-month deployment in the Middle East, comes back, gets his bag. His bag is completely wet. He's like, what's happening? It was a lavatory leakage. Oh, my God. Holy cow. I didn't hear about this. No, it's really horrible. I don't want to think about how it smelled, you know. And I mean, up to that, you know, maybe it's an accident. It happens, you know, shit happens. Literally. literally. Yeah. <laughs> but the way that United Ground Staff handled that was like, yo, yo, here's a voucher for a new bag and file a complaint online. You'll have an answer within 10 weeks. You're like, what? 10 is weeks? This? What is this? Yeah, exactly. So it's that's really bad. I mean, this is where you should, guys, any company, customer, customer, customer. And in particular, this guy is someone who is actually, you know, going to fight for his country, whatever you think about the fight, but he's actually, you know, dedicating his life for his country. You're flying him back to something extra for Christ. Yeah, absolutely. It's not, it's not complicated. The other thing that, and you might actually more... Um, feel personally about uh, this crew called Linda, because the article names her, that was berating a passenger a mother because her baby was crying in the business cabin. And she told her, your baby is only allowed to cry for five minutes, after which you'll have to go to economy because she pretends it was a rule. It stresses the crew out. Give me a break. I mean... This is, this is offensive. Yeah, it is, right? Uh, I mean, first of all, you know, it's a baby, you know, the, I, I'm always baffled. I'm not a parent myself, but I'm always baffled at people, you know, thinking that parents do that on purpose and they don't care. Yeah, you will have a few that don't care. That happens. But I mean, it's a baby that doesn't understand what's happening with he or her ears. There's a lot of noise. It's a stressful situation. Parents are doing their best. Yep. And she's like, oh, you're stressing me out. What? The yeah, it, it's rid I mean, I have unlimited sympathy for parents with a, kid, a baby, especially that is agitated on a flight. You can't just go to a baby and go, hey, can you chill out for a minute? You're stressing everybody out. The baby's not going to go, oh, shit, sorry, and stop crying. <laughs> it's not how it works. Uh, you know, we've been in situations like that. And the crew that are the most wonderful are the ones to say, do you need anything? And then if you need something, a bottle warmed up or anything, you ask them. And if not, they just leave you alone, knowing that you are doing literally everything in your power to shut them up. And the other thing that sometimes people react to is like, oh, kids, including babies, shouldn't be allowed in business class. I'm like, guys, what the, you know... Again, same thing, same situation. I mean, and you know what? You'll have your own private solo seat and put your headphones on and that's it. I mean, stop being entitled because, you know, parents do their best. They will always, and again, I'm, I'm fully agree, there will always be one or two parents that seem to be slacking off and don't give a, but even them, if it's like a 15 hour flight and for like 20 minutes, their kids is a bit, you know, unruly, uh, what are you going to do? Yeah? yeah. Uh, I mean, come on. I mean, honestly. Yeah, anyway. it's frustrating. And last story about United. Come on, I need three so I can have a you know backlog for and not to mention United in our next uh, <laughs> in our next episode. That United flight that almost ran out of fuel landing at Sydney. They send a Mayday. Yeah, that's actually something that doesn't happen very often. And in very Australian style, they basically close down the airports and all the safety equipment on the runway, etc. It's uh, always what I understand. Digging a little bit into this because for a US airline where safety protocol is stringent, Paramount. to say the least, seemed unusual. From what I understand, when you get a low fuel warning, even if you've got 
lots of reserves, it automatically kicks off a protocol, one of which is declaring, or part of which is declaring a fuel mayday. You do that. You can't get out of it and go, should we yeah, do it or not? You just, you, you, have you just do it. That in turn kicks off a protocol at the arriving or receiving airport where all of the, pro the emergency services are readied. So when United commented on this, they said there was unusually strong headwinds that were not forecasted and there were large deviations to avoid very bad weather, the combination of which meant that they got to a point where everything was going to be fine no matter what, but protocol dictated that they had to do this. So in fairness to them, they did everything by the book and everything worked out the way it should. Thank you. <laughs> no, no. no, I, but you, it, no but you absolutely, you're absolutely right. Fair enough. I'll make sure the next time I fly United, I bring a canister of kerosene with me. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Another, uh, since we're in the US, the fact that Norwegian has overtaken BA as the largest passenger traffic airline on the pond, so on the Atlantic. Uh, we said a few episodes ago that uh, that route from Heathrow to GFK brought the most revenue in the world for BA and was probably around 5% of BA's entire revenue. It doesn't mean that BA's is diminishing, just means that Norwegian is you know, expanding super fast. And it's the first time that somebody else in BAs actually has taken over in terms of pure passenger traffic. Norwegian carried 1.67 million passengers in the last 12 months compared with 1.63 for BA. These numbers are coming from the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey because they oh, count wow. the passengers coming in. Not surprising though. No, no, it's not. That's pretty incredible. And in the same breath, BA just celebrated his 60 years of jet engine transatlantic crossings. It was obviously BOAC that did it first on October 4th, 1958 with a de Havilland Comet 4. And in the celebration, that's really cool. The celebration happened in London. They invited an old ex-flight attendant. She's 91 <laughs> And she joined BOAC in 1950. Our quote is, is amazing because it also gives you like this, how far have we gone? It was marvelous. We were used to traveling to New York on Boeing Stratocruisers, which took up to 20 hours. <laughs> we couldn't believe the flight was possible in such a short time, obviously mentioning the, the comet. And also BOAC, that's interesting, had back then beat Pan Am for that race across the Atlantic because Pan Am was about to introduce also gen engines and BA, BOAC actually went faster. And BA uh, is also celebrating, I think this year, next year, their 100th anniversary. Yes, along with understand. KLM. But they're not the oldest airline. I thought KLM was, and I think yeah, me the, too. the BA one is a technicality that allows them to say <laughs> they've been around for 100 years. Not to take away anything from that milestone. Yeah, I thought that BA did a really nice job of commemorating what is a massive milestone, one that we all enjoy the fruits of in one form or another. And they did some neat things. They put out some really interesting content. And I love, as you say, that they collected the stories from this this wonderful lady who's who was there at the very beginning. And uh, yeah, Alex Cruz said that British Airways have always pioneered innovation. Well, invest in your IT, please. Yeah. <laughs> Still waiting to hear what you're going to do about my data breach. <laughs> we haven't heard anything Nothing. about that. It's gone dark. You know, they're trying maybe to bury that. I mean, they were sure. I don't think we mentioned that when we were talking about what happened to you. I'm pretty sure they actually, you know, PR the hell out of it with positive stories to kind of, not bury, because you kind of bury like a half a million people being hacked, but to kind of 
say that even though we were hacked, we did our best, even though like la la la, you know, to try to kind of counter this. I'm sure mm-hmm. their PR firms have gotten lots of, that's where the investment of IT went to the PR. Yeah, it went firm, to actually. PR, God. <laughs> we also said that BA is introducing their new business class seat. We have no idea what it is. There are like rumors, as we said, that it could be something inspired by the Q suite of Qatar Airways. I'm still not holding my breath about that one. Mm-hmm. Though, let's be fair, when they introduced their business product back in the day, because now they have one of the oldest ones, it was a pioneer one. It was a very good one. So let's be honest, and maybe they will actually come up with something cool. We actually know that, that it will be introduced next year in the uh, 350 1000 so when this one is rolled out the new business class will be there yeah i'm looking forward to seeing what they they have a really big opportunity to shut people like me up and <laughs> and and produce something great so i hope they've they've invested wisely did they not just release new glassware did they i don't know i haven't flown ba <laughs> long haul in a while actually i i will be I will be on Monday, so I will tell you. Are you flying premium economy business? Currently in premium economy. I'm going to see what I can do. <laughs> Only because, yeah, we'll talk about it. <laughs> we'll yeah. talk about it when I get back. And- yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't like their betting. I think it's done by the white company, but I kind of like their duvet. It's not too bad, actually. Yeah, I'm told it's really in, good, yeah. In, in business. So uh, they are still, third episode in a row, and I mentioned that they're still like using Air Belgium to go to uh, <laughs> Abu Dhabi, so avoid that. But, 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 but if you like... 380s and you're on one world and maybe you don't want to fly emirates because of what alex said a few episodes ago dubai is going to close one it's their runway ba will be flying for a short while a 380 instead of their triple seven center 47s to dubai so if you want to experience the 380 by ba don't go to abu dhabi because that's an air belgium crappy 340 Go to Dubai and you'll have a 380. That's not too bad, actually. Yeah, I think they're reducing their frequency by one. So they're having to do this, you know, so enjoy. Absolutely. We haven't talked about our friend Al Baker for quite a while. Uh, he's always entertaining. Sometimes he goes over the line. Let's be honest as well. He can be distasteful, especially when he talks about women. But he's always very entertaining. First, Qatar, actually, even though they have the blockade, made profit. Yeah. And they're still growing. They said that they're growing slightly at a lower pace than before, but it's still growth. So meaning they're pretty smart because even with all the problems that everybody in the region was trying to give them, they're still growing. They're still able to actually make it a very profitable airline. So well, kudos to them. Let's be very honest. I, I don't understand how they're doing that because this blockade has caused them immeasurable annoyance and irritation and inconvenience. And they've sort of had their annual lash out at the American and another one world partner saying, if you don't knock this off and help us, we're going to leave the alliance. I think yeah. they say this every year, but... No, but I think this one is the most striking. I mean, look, like, let's be honest. When Qatar joined One World a few years ago, the day before, the day before, Al Baker was flatly denying that Qatar would ever join One World. <laughs> so, well, now that he says the opposite, you're like, oh, come on. Yeah, whatever. it's hard but to believe. To be fair, I get his point because, you know, he's... 
is being bashed around by everybody at one world. So American clearly, because American, yeah, you're cheating, mm. uh, you, uh, your governments are blah, blah, blah. And he's like, so either we're a family, that's a quote, we're supposed to work together to support each other like a family. But he says it's not the spirit of the alliance anymore, especially since American Airlines is continuously targeting Qatar Airways, slandering Qatar Airways, giving misinformation to the US government about Qatar Airways. And now it is targeting our investment in Air Italy at very high level government interaction, claiming that we are cheating on the Open Skies Agreement that we signed with the US government. This whole shenanigan has to stop. It has gone too far. If Qatar Airways leaves one world, it will send a very wrong message to the world about alliances. He's complaining, including, and I think maybe that's the second airline you were mentioning, he's complaining about Qantas saying that, Qantas, well, Qantas, that was it. Qantas is playing a double game because Qantas is in one world, but also has very strong ties with Emirates. And since Emirates, obviously the UAE is one of the countries that is implementing the blockade against Qatar, they say, okay, so what is Qantas doing there? Is it actually wanting us to have even further action by all the countries surrounding countries? It's a big cluster F, because now we have to avoid being explicit on this show, because... <laughs> Because Qatar Airways is the largest shareholder in IAG, so BA and Iberia and Welling and Aer Lingus. Yeah. They have stakes in LATAM, and they just increased their stake in Cathay Pacific. They own now 9.99% of Cathay Pacific. All these guys we just said are all One World members. So they have their hand in the pot of many other One World members, and at the same time are threatening to leave. It will be very interesting to see what happens and how actually the shareholders of each of these companies will react to the fact that one of their own largest shareholders, Qatar Airways, is threatening to leave the alliance they're part of, right? It, yeah, it feels... It feels very dysfunctional at the moment, that whole alliance and that whole arrangement. I think it's because you've got that weird ownership structure, like you just yeah, mentioned, but, but also I think you've got a lot of big personalities in there as well. Yeah, yeah. But I may, perhaps it's the same in Star, I don't know. So very interesting time for them. And I want Air Italy to thrive because Alitalia, we're not going to go there again. For me, it's almost as if it's dead. I, I really do not wish that on the employees of Alitalia, but I mean, it's they're doing whatever, it's completely wrong. But I mean, you can still fly for very cheap. If you want to go to Bangkok from Milan, now you have the best freaking deals ever. Yeah. The only question is, is it flying next week, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, well, I, I mean, that's a, a legitimate question too. Yeah, which is why I always avoid them because uh, they are... Th 330, I think, long-haul product or 777, I don't remember. Their business product looks pretty cool and has good reviews. The food apparently is very good. But every time I see that, I'm like, yeah, but, you know, and then suddenly they announce their bankruptcy and I'm not protected and I'm losing my everything and I just don't want to do it. Exactly, exactly. That's, that's a legitimate fear and something actually we should all be kind of mindful of when a deal looks too good to be true. The other story about alliances is clearly evidently this potential merger between Etihad and uh, Emirates, yeah. Emirates, which now is almost going into conspiracy theory territory between Alex and myself, because <laughs> there's been a, an article on Bloomberg about problems with the 380 that Emirates has ordered, a series of 380, the last order they just made. The engine is Rolls-Royce, and they're claiming that the engine is not is not giving the performance th that was promised. Thus, Bloomberg reports they're on the cusp of maybe even canceling this entire order, which is a whole lot predicament for Airbus, because then basically their A380 program is dead if Emirates were to ever cancel that. 
But to our comment we just did, is it because they're going to onboard a ton of planes from Etihad and they might not actually need these 380s? Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, is that they're using this as a perhaps a stalling mechanism to allow that Etihad Emirates deal to become reality or at least firmed up. Or they're using it as a way to get out of it on the cheap because they've sort of slightly changed their strategy as well, or the deal wasn't as good as it was on the face of it. So they say the fuel burn is not there. And the other engine manufacturer, General Electric at Pratt & Whitney, since no one is ordering 380s, they kind of gave up on iterating on the engine for the 380 so that the only provider of engine for the 380 is Rolls-Royce. And added that to their problems with the trend on the Dreamliner, Rolls-Royce cannot get a break these days. It's <laughs> Yeah, they, they really are struggling, aren't they? I'm not, I don't think I'm sympathetic. It's they've. This is their of their own doing, but it's still a huge deal. Uh, if you guys, because we mentioned earlier uh, air fleets, you can look at what Etihad has. It's a very different type of uh, fleet structure than Emirates, which now relies exclusively on 777s and 380s. It used to have 340s, uh, 330s, if I'm not mistaken. But Etihad has Dreamliners, Etihad has one or two only 380, Etihad has 320s, 321s, 330s as well. But again, if they onboard the entire, you know, there will be like a lot of aircraft, they might just don't need the, and they might even not need the actual Dreamliners that they were thinking of or going down the line with Emirates. So, uh, it's, it, very interesting times. Yeah, it is a very interesting time. And I think, I think that that has even a little bit more credibility to the whole stalling tactic yeah. as they see, God, what, what are we going to do with this fleet? Credence maybe to the actual merger. We'll see. Uh, they yeah. probably are talking right now. We're not privy of those discussions, though. I would really love to be in that room to maybe, see how yeah, they... Yeah, it would be great. <laughs> so since we're on Etihad, hi, Sahid again. We do not wish the demise of Etihad at all. Etihad has been very unlucky in its business dealings. However, we know about Air Berlin. We know about Alitalia. They also had investment in Air Serbia. I think it's still running that one. I'm not exactly sure if they retweeted or not. Um, and they have one of their... Our biggest actually partner is Jet Airways. If you are looking sometimes to fly to go with Etihad, some of the destinations will be then taken over by Jet Airways. Have you actually flown Jet Airways ever? I haven't, but I keep reading these stories that they're running out of money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you to my point. So Etihad has been propping the same way they did with Air Berlin and Alitalia again. They've been propping uh, Jet Airways because they rely on them, especially for the massive Indian market. I think Jet Airways is the second biggest airline in India yeah. after... They also other falling Air India. We'll have to have glue code. Sunil coming on the show to talk about that because yeah. I've never flown them. So now they've been very inventive. I think because they're running out of ideas how to prop up the airline, they are investing and giving an advance of money on their frequent flyer program. So Jets Airways frequent flyer program. We all know that they actually are basically using then that money to pay. It's that dire to pay staff to pay fuel, Yikes. fees, whilst they're looking for other funds. What I found super ironic in this uh, whole structure, because again, you said bizarre structures, since they're financing the frequent flyer program of Jet Airways, the biggest partner of this 
frequent flyer program is Delta. So basically what we're having here is Etihad investing as well in Delta is giving an indirect subsidy to Delta. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It's so but, it's so bizarre, isn't it? And I know how, how are they going to find an investor? They're just going to be throwing good money after bad. Yeah, it, it looks... I mean, in India itself, a market that we don't know a lot, no, I've I been know. a few times, but uh, the reason we don't talk about it, guys, is not because we don't want to talk about India, it's just because we don't know it. It's a massive market, but it seems like companies like Indigo and others are really giving a run for the money to these older, more traditional airlines. Our India, as I said, is apparently in a very dire situation. No one wants to buy them. And Jetterway seems to be also in a situation where they have like just cash for two, three months, right? Yeah. So it's a really, really bad. I'm pretty sure that in that potential merging with Emirates, Emirates is not interested in actually keeping Jetterways at all. You are, because you asked that on Twitter, you are maybe looking into flying with Fly Dubai. Yeah, I have to get up to Kazakhstan, which is not nearly as easy as it sounds. Oh, actually, it doesn't sound easy at all, but it, it's not easy. Astana or Almaty? Astana. I've been there. It's cool. You'll I'm see looking forward fun. to it. I'm looking forward to it. And so for my timings, it actually makes sense to go via Dubai, which seems a little bit out of the way. And then I have a couple of options to get up to Astana from Dubai. And one of them is, is Fly Dubai, which... I don't really know anything about other than it's not ownership or subsidy, but they're sort of, they call Emirates a sister airline, a big sister. <laughs> yeah, airline. you can buy on Emirates tickets. You'll be flying with uh, Fly Dubai. Fly Dubai is, I would not say a low cost airline because it is, but they have actually a business class. So I don't, they have a business class. They've got hybrid. Wi-Fi. It looks, it looks good. It's just that the timing, the hedonist in me says the timing works because it would give me like 10 hours in Dubai, but then I wouldn't, get to Astana until 3.30 in the morning and I have my first meeting at 10 a.m. <laughs> Astana is very quiet because, you know, Astana is this uh, a new city that was created by the president, mm. Nazarbayev, I think is his name. Um, and it's one of these new capitals because he wanted to have a capital in the center of the country. He didn't want to be too close to China, which was Almaty. So the city is kind of built for like 15 million people but there's maybe like 100,000 people in it. So you have this kind of feeling of massive streets and buildings that are empty. So you'll be sleeping very well. There won't be any noise. Don't worry, Alex. Oh, that's <laughs> but it's good. Cool. That's, that, that might be my uh, my plan then. And the, the landing or the departing, because you'll be landing in the night, is actually pretty cool because there's literally nothing, 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 nothing. Oh, a city. Oh, like wow. it's really very, it's pretty striking. It's, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll give you some tips. When are you going there? Next is month. It, Okay, so this episode will be released before. before. So, guys, if you've flown Fly Dubai, if you want to say to Alex, you should or shouldn't, just let us know. You can now even send us messages on Instagram, but also yeah. on Twitter, on email, layovers2 at gmail.com, or on Facebook as well. We're everywhere, basically. <laughs> and um, it's interesting because you, since you had asked this question, you had a little bit of, of responses, people back and forth. And many people said one thing, that they like the fact that Fly Dubai departs out of Terminal 2, which is the terminal for any other airlines besides Emirates. I am the opposite. I hate Terminal 2. So I, it's interesting that so many people like it, but maybe I'll be very honest. It's maybe because I've only experienced Terminal 3 at Dubai having status thus being able to maybe avoid the crowds mostly and thus liking it. And if you are actually a non-status economy passenger, it's actually super cramped. 
when I go to Terminal 2, I'm like, oh, what is this thing, you know? <laughs> I've never been to Terminal 2. I'm very interested to see what it's like. Do you know what Air Astana flies out of? Terminal 2? Probably Terminal 2. Now they have Terminal 4, which is next to Terminal 3, because Terminal 2 is the opposite side, so you literally have to go to the opposite. It's not too long. You can do that with a cab. Terminal 4 is the most modern and has also foreign airlines. So maybe Air Astana, because Air Astana is a five-star airline. It's a very good airline. I, I've flown it, and I was really, really... I don't remember, because I think I've flown it in 2014, and we started this show in 20. 15. So have I ever talked about my Aristana flight? I cannot recall. But what we'll do is once you go to Kazakhstan, the episode after, you'll talk about your experience. I'll talk about my experience. Whether or not you do Aristana, we'll, we'll dedicate a few minutes on. I'm definitely doing one leg on Aristana, so I'll be able to report back no matter what. Yes. Since we were on Jet Airways, Jet Airways cannot get a break either. They're not only running out of money, but apparently maybe, I don't know, are they not paying their pilots? Because uh, there's this uh, flight when the pilots forgot to basically put the pressurization on and yeah. people had bleeding ears and <laughs> what? That's bad. That's so bad. <laughs> so India, one thing, because it seems that we've been, or actually I've been, I'm not going to put the omen on, on Alex criticizing India. No, no, I'm not. And I had a very interesting stat from Glucode, Sunil, that I had no idea. Out of... 7,500 roughly women pilots across the world, more than 1,000 actually are from India. I so, believe that. And 20 women pilots fly four routes from India to the US every day. Wow. That's cool. That is cool. Uh, yeah, I had no idea. But this is really interesting. We should really do an episode about India. Hopefully next time I'll go to India, but that's not. I'm going very close to it soon, but not to India itself, sadly. Um, since we're still on airlines thinking of canceling orders, Malaysian Airlines, they still haven't found the MH370, has uh, basically canceled or let lapsed the order of uh, Dreamliners they had. The reason I mention it is not to this Malaysian because they're still trying to figure out what to do. Is more to say yeah. that when we talk about massive orders, they're not always what it feels like because airlines can simply make them lapse and these are never delivered. Yeah, it's so often the case. They're very often their memorandums of understanding as opposed to firm orders. And even firm orders, there's a way to get out of it. Isn't that what we have, like some of MOU between you and me to this podcast, where yeah. we could let it lapse? Yeah. Or, <laughs> guys, this podcast is at risk of lapsing completely. No, no, don't worry. We're here for the long haul. Hmm, pun intended. So, Premier Air failed. You have the story in the last episode. Premier Air was supposed to be the launch customer. I mean, what? They had no money, and they were supposed to be the launch customer of the Airbus 321 Long Range, the new one, the Neo one. Obviously, then Airbus has a problem because who's going to be the launch customer? It was just announced. It's a company I never heard of called Arkea, based in Tel Aviv. Wow. And they will do Tel Aviv, Paris. Then they will introduce London, Barcelona. They already have like uh, 195s and 757s and some others, I think. To I'd fly. never heard of them. I hope that the 321s long LR Neo... I'm not even sure that's the actual name because nowadays it's like these phones, you know, iPhone XS Max. You know, they're adding like all these I things know. afterwards. <laughs> New My God. Obfuscation. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if they will have air vents. Usually Airbus are very good at having air vents. Allegiant Air, nothing to do with the 321. Allegiant Air, because we complain, Alex and myself, that sometimes it's too hot and especially when they don't have air vents. Allegiant Air, which is a low-cost airline in the U.S., was fined 
by the DOT in the US for actually having their planes way too hot on the ground and not privating air. See, That's we have not, a point. Yeah, it is. It can be unbearable. It was more than a hundred degrees outside the aircraft, sometimes 110, and it would not turn on the air conditions clearly. I mean, of course, some places like, I don't know, like New Mexico, I guess, or Texas can be super very hot. I mean, treat your customers currently. Yeah. But Allegiant, on the other side, had their flight with their 14th million passenger. Wow. And they offered everyone a refund of that flight. So everybody was super happy. Though, of course, a refund of that flight probably is 12. Yeah, that low cost carrier. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, since we did a mix of uh, both high cost airlines <laughs> and low cost airlines, sometimes they marry. You just told us you were going to Dubai. You're going to there with Emirates? Yes, I am. Uh, so Emirates actually has had a partnership with EasyJet for a long time, which always kind of puzzles people. EasyJet, really, in Emirates? And they are actually doubling down on this. For instance, now, if you are going to Geneva, you'll be able to connect between the two on a single ticket. It's not a full internal, meaning you'll still have to remove your luggage first, but you'll be able to have, let's say you're flying from Dubai to Geneva, and then take like a low cost to go to Nice, for instance, will be completely possible on a single ticket. It's, it's interesting that uh, these type of uh, scenarios are happening. It is, and I know that they've got a really good relationship with JetBlue as well. Yeah. Which I guess makes a bit more sense. And EasyJet, I had no idea, apparently has signed agreement with Singapore Airlines in Milan and in Tegel in Berlin. So same, similar. You could arrive with Singapore and you could even be in first class in a suite and then you move on to EasyJet. I find it very interesting that EasyJet would do that. Yeah, it's become a, a kind of a cornerstone of their strategy lately is to find, what I can't remember what they call it. There's some unified strategy when they're bringing on people like Singapore Airlines. Worldwide by EasyJet. That's the one. That's the one. Yeah. So I think um, <laughs> that's very sensible. It seems to be working and it seems to be working for all parties as well. And EasyJet, they have introduced an extension to their app. You take a picture or you upload a picture of something you've seen on Instagram and it actually builds your travel. It says, oh, this is there. That's if cool. you want to go, here's, yeah. I mean, I'm not someone who especially looks at Instagram to go to places, but sometimes I see like beautiful pictures of a beach. I'm like, where is that? How do I get there? This automation seems pretty, actually pretty That's cool. Pretty and, I, idea. and I'm I'm very surprised that Google hasn't done this. With Google Flights, it should, could be like almost like an evidence. Yeah, Absolutely. They're so good with that. (laughs) Before we go to Burbank, one last bit, because I found this completely amazing. Again, since we talked a lot about low cost, this guy, uh, pointswithacrew.com, you know, all these websites about people doing miles, has done a round-the-world trip for less than $1,000. Oakland to Barcelona, Norwegian, $149. Barcelona to Rome and Ryanair for $16. Rome to Tel Aviv and Ryanair for $56. Tel Aviv to Dubai on Pegasus, the Turkish one, for $145. Dubai to Delhi on Oman Air for $99. Delhi to Kuala Lumpur on Air Asia X for $120. Kuala Lumpur to Taipei on Air Asia X for $115. Taipei to LA on Xiamen for $201. That's really cheap. That's a very good fare. And LA to San Francisco and Delta for 52. It's amazing. You can do a round on the world trip. This is $875. Crazy, right? That's amazing. What a neat little experiment too. We should do that. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, I don't think that's is how you've actually been to Burbank doing like a round on the world trip on low cost airlines. But how is Burbank? I love Burbank. Like I said, it's a, it's a small airport. Most of the destinations are... West of the Rockies, I think the furthest. Well, there's a there's a New York flight that JetBlue does, and and Dallas on American, which actually they've temporarily paused. But everything else is like oh. Portland, Seattle, 
Denver, Oakland. So it's it's not, you know, you're not going to fly to Hong Kong from Burbank, but it's this, it's a great <laughs> and, and sort of very storied airport. And actually, its full name is Hollywood Burbank Airport. That's fancy, actually. It shows you kind of where where it is in, in, in relation to the rest of L.A. I think it had a – that's a new name that they've given it. It used to be called Burbank Glendale Pasadena Airport and then Bob Hope Airport. XS Max. XS Max, yeah, exactly. But I think Bob Hope is still the official name and Hollywood Burbank is like a branding name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so neither of the runways are particularly long. The longest one is only 6,800 feet. So you're oh. not getting monstro jets in there. It's mainly – Regional jets, ERJs, CRJs, 737s, A320s, I think at the most. But I like it because, you know, I flew down there in Jet Suite X and I talked about that in the previous episode. I was able to be in downtown Burbank having breakfast like 15 minutes after I landed. And you're right, it's right in the middle of the city. So you can get to all of these wonderful little independent restaurants and cafes and all of that stuff in no time. It's where we stayed when we went to Universal Studios. It's like six or seven <laughs> minutes away. It's a small airport. So while, you know, it, yes, you have to deal with the TSA, but to do that at every airport, there's no massive amounts of walking. Everybody there seemed pretty friendly. So yeah, I, I like it. It's a good airport. It, the, Is that good food? I don't remember. I think we talked about this a lot. I think the problem with many American airports is what you get in Boston, you'll get in Boise, you'll get in Burbank. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes for food and that goes for for retail outlets coffee, as well. Coffee, anything, coffee yeah, yeah, exactly. Or- they all have the same like Hudson News everywhere. But because of the way it's designed, you don't actually have to get there too late. And because it's in the region, you know, right in the middle of the city, there's so many local things that you can do and still make your flight on time. By far the busiest route is Oakland. So it's like this, it's perfect for the Bay Area, Southern California hop. And the next one is San Jose, another Bay Area thing. And then Vegas, nice and close. So I like it. There's something, adorable is not the right word. There's something compact (laughs) and efficient and and easy about that airport. I have really good memories about, about flying there as a kid when we used to fly standby because my father worked for an airline and me and my I don't think my youngest brother had been born yet. Maybe he had. I can't remember. That's how inconsequential you are, Will. <laughs> Couldn't remember <laughs> if you that. even existed. Tell me if you went. Well, I can't remember. But anyway, we were trying to get to Disneyland. And we were sitting at San Francisco Airport. And there were two seats left. And my dad said to my mom, take Andrew and go. And so they went on a PSA. For those of you that remember that airline, the, the airplane with a smile on the on the nose. On a PSA BAE 146 down to somewhere in Southern California. My dad and I got bumped off like maybe six or seven flights after that to try and get anywhere. And we ended up taking a flight down to Burbank and then renting a car and driving all the way down to Anaheim and rush hour. Those of you that know LA can appreciate the feat that my father endured at that point. But I just have such fond memories of like me and my dad on this sort of fly drive road trip together. So perhaps that's why I'm so fond of that airport. That matters, honestly. I mean, because I have not similar stories because my parents were not in aviation, but I have stories of the old Athens airports, but that's a problem. It's the old Athens airports. It mm. doesn't exist anymore. So I cannot relate to the new one. But yeah, oh my God. Uh, one question, is it a lot of private jets? There's quite a lot of private jets. And then, like I said, you've got the Jet Suite X guys on, away from the main terminal, yeah. completely on the side of the airport. And they share a 
part of the ramp. I don't think the facilities are in any way connected with with somebody who owned a private 757 and there was a private 767 mm. right next to it. So oh. there's a lot of a lot of that tra- a lot of John uh, Travolta maybe. <laughs> very well <laughs> he, he, not, yeah, he's he... got his own little house with an airport attached to oh, it. It's true actually. Even his house is built like uh, I think what part of the house is like an airplane or something yeah, or yeah. airplane you shape. I'd probably do the same thing if I had that kind of money. <laughs> so they they had uh, there's a lot of like traffic watch and local flight stuff going on over there. Flight schools, FBOs on the, I guess it would be the northern, northeastern corner of the airport. There's a fairly big FBO. So yeah, there's, there's a lot going on. I think it's a very busy airport in terms of movements as well. Okay. So would you do a layover there? Or yeah, I absolutely would. In fact, I did, I guess, by definition, when I did my Burbank turn, would you not go to a Simpsons world next door? Yes, I probably would. <laughs> I probably would know me. <laughs> okay. Well, I haven't been but since I love Conan. Uh, that's how we, we opened the show. I might just go there to see one of these tapings because um, that is my favorite. I had seen him actually when he was doing the late, you know, before this whole mess. Yeah. When he was supposed to take over. I went to New York to see him and I, I loved him. That's a long time. So, guys, we are doing a slightly shorter because now our episodes usually run between one hour, 40, 45 minutes. We're doing shorter because we really try to cram something in the time we had before we both fly are various parts of the world. We're not going to do the rundown again. Alexis traveling to the US. You understood I'm traveling first to Athens for a travel event. But you'll see us probably before that one month that we said because we will try to actually find a time to do another episode. And if you're willing to listen to more of Alex's voices, he's just released the Mastication Nation episode letter P. What is it? Peanut butter? Peanut butter, yep. Do you like peanut butter? I love it. I eat it by the spoonful. Do you? <laughs> you're so American. Do you put jam on your peanut butter? Sometimes there was a little bit of it because we had uh, a special guest on this episode, my other brother. So the three hundred brothers waxing lyrical about a, a food stuff that we all love. Um, sometimes I can take it or leave it. That for me is almost anathema. You know, I was like, uh, it was not in my culture peanut butter, but adding jam on top, I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? It works. I mean, it is it, when you're in the mood. It is incredibly delicious. Trust me, when I'm in the mood. AKA when I'm hangover, I could eat anything. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> on, on that, guys, so listen to it. I think there will be a second P episode coming up because you actually announced that, which I found completely. I'm very, very curious about knowing another food that starts with P. Is it pecan nuts? Is it peas? Is it, it could be anything. Okay, pizza, actually. That's, that would be my favorite. So, you can listen more to Alex. And we will promise that you record another episode before we come back of you know, all these extraordinary travels. That yeah, there's going to so be some interesting do. tales. Alex and Paul talking about their time in the plane. <laughs> <laughs> right on that, guys. Safe travels. Safe travels, guys. Safe travels, guys.